0: You may be seated. I want to say thank you to all the musicians and the hard work. It is a lot. It's folks practicing um, every day of the week. I know for a fact some folks are practicing every day. And uh, sometimes we change things. We actually change the closing song, and someone had already practiced the closing song, so we're just throwing everything into a tizzy around here. We are thankful for the worship that we can have and much of that hopefully gives you opportunity to, it strikes a chord in your heart with what God has done with you that you reflect praise back to him. So we are very thankful for that. Would you bow with me in prayer one more time as we look to God's word? Father, we do look to you with a wonderful anticipation of this time right now. We do praise you for the times in our life where you're very clearly Making sense, showing the way. And it's beautiful to see that in your goodness. We praise you today for the times when you are stretching us and you are teaching us, knowing that nothing nothing in our life is ever wasted because you're in control. And we thank you for your never changing word. While those two opposites, times where we see clearly, times when our vision is impaired on our journey are so different we thank you that your word never changes allow us to hide it in our heart allow us to be encouraged by it now as we study it we pray these things in jesus name amen i want to ask for your involvement right off the bat today with a few things that we're going to talk about because we're going to talk about god's providence today and how you can trust god's providence there are a lot of people that like to put their trust in a few other things. Here's how I want you to get involved. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud, but I want you to answer in your head. And here's the question that I have for you. I want you to see if you can guess in your head one or two or even more of the top symbols for good luck. Don't say it out loud. Don't ruin it for your neighbor. But I'm going to give you what one survey said was the top five symbols for good luck. So I'm going to give you about ten seconds. Ten seconds. To think on that, what is a symbol for good luck that is popular in our society? Think about it just for a moment, and then I'm going to give you the top answers. All right, time's up. That's it. That was kind of a tough uh, tough amount of time for you there. Let me give you the top five answers from what I found. Top symbols for luck. The first one, or I should say number five, is lucky number seven. Did anybody here guess lucky number seven? Anybody? All right, you did? All right, Okay. Uh, number four, I would have never guessed and I did not know. This is the fourth top symbol for good luck. It is ladybugs. How many of you knew ladybugs were good luck? Anybody? And I use that word good luck loosely, okay. So don't, don't think I'm trying to trick you into saying something unbiblical. All right. Uh, number three, actually, is uh, fuzzy dice. You saw our uh, worship leader up here playing with fuzzy dice while he was trying to lead singing. Fuzzy dice is a symbol. Those were tough ones. Number two is a lucky horseshoe a lucky horseshoe some of you guessed that one lucky horseshoe all right and then the number one symbol for good luck might surprise some of you it's actually a four-leaf clover how many of you said four thought four-leaf clover all right that was the number one answer nice job all right how many how many thought rabbit's foot right off the bat along with me all right rabbit's foot was actually number seven so you are in the top 10 and did anybody think a penny finding a penny heads up anybody think that okay michael you did all right me too um, a penny uh, side heads up was number 10, actually. When we think of these symbols, for the follower of Jesus Christ, they don't mean a whole lot to us. They don't. We shouldn't be scared of them and, and avoid them like the plague. Having said that, we should very much so have a different tone that comes out of our mouth, those that know God, those that are learning about God's character. We don't have to be scared of them. Like I said, I actually have in my home a horseshoe. And my wife said, would you go ahead and just put that up on the wall there to our basement? It was a nice decor, and so I went and put it up and um, found out just a couple weeks later that I'd actually put the horseshoe up the wrong way. There's a right way to put it up, and I did not know that. Now, I did not say, oh, that's probably why I had that string of bad days down there in my basement because the horseshoe was upside down. It wasn't having a reverse effect in any way, not at all. Today I want to talk to you about, as a follower of Christ, how you can believe that God is sovereign over all things in this world. As we get a chance to think on this topic, let me just encourage you with this. This is a topic that's going to apply from the newest believer, someone who's very young and following Jesus Christ, that doesn't know very much about the Bible at all, all the way up until the most experienced believer. I think that there is a truth here that everyone will need to consistently grab a hold of, and it's going to help you as you journey in this world because there is a temptation. Listen, there's a temptation in this world for us to think that we are alone. There's nobody else that gets us, and even though we might be surrounded by a couple hundred people, there's a temptation to think that we are alone. And God has given us a local church. We cannot get away from that part of his plan. We need to be part of a local church. But even something that is very sweet in addition to that is God has given his followers the Holy Spirit. God is always with us, and no matter where we go, no matter if we can see clearly or if our vision is very, it's like through a fog, God is in control of all things. So we trust him, and we trust his goodness. As we go ahead and look at this topic, let me give you a takeaway for the message today if you're taking notes. We walk by faith and not by sight, with the inexplicable confidence because we are trusting in in we're trusting in the providence of God you and I can walk by faith and not by sight because of the providence of God God's providence here's what it means to us it means that he is not distant and i know that some of you have felt that God is distant at sometimes you'll look into his word you'll know the promises you can even repeat back the verses that talk about it and yet sometimes god feels far away to us that's a season that we might go through in life and even for the experienced believer something where he will have to fight against the temptation for the devil to make you think you're on your own instead of distant we know that god is a loving father that's the beautiful picture we see in the scriptures god is a loving father who is governing the daily events of our lives and usually this is going on behind the scenes. And so whether something good happens in your life or something bad happens, we need to trust God that he is going to work out his plan through his providence in our lives. Don't think that I don't know that this main application of God's providence doesn't come with all kinds of struggles. In fact, those that would attack your Christian faith would love to grab a hold of this and say God's in control of all things, eh? And then talk about some kind of evil in this world and try to tie that right to our good and holy God. Let me give you um, some applications regarding this. As we are learning about God's providence and as we come to our lesson that we're going to look at, I want to give you a few things for you to write down and for you to come to. I've got them up on the screen here. There's the first one. Number one, God absolutely has a good plan for your life. You need to remember this you need to repeat this back to yourself. Some days it's easy to remember this and repeat to yourself. Some days it's going to be very easy for you to say, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And there are going to be other days where you need to say those exact same words, but the tone in your voice might be very different. And the reason you can say it is because God said it. God's word says that. And so you might say to yourself, this is the day which the Lord hath made. <sighs> I will rejoice and be glad in it. Just out of obedience, repeating back to God what he has said, having confidence that God absolutely has a good plan for your life. Proverbs 21.1 says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, And then it says he turns it wherever he will. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It kind of gives us the picture of a child playing at the beach right near the water and he's making paths for the water to go through in the sand. And as he comes and makes a path, he makes a little detour right here and he can make that water go wherever he wants by just moving his hand in the sand. That's exactly the kind of control that God has and what he can do in your life. Number two, there is no force, no matter how powerful, that can upset God's sovereign plan. There is no force, no matter how powerful, that can upset God's sovereign plan. Psalm number two, verse one says, why, now listen to the buildup in these first three verses and then how verse four starts. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's you and me, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And then verse 4 of Psalm 2 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. Everyone trying to make a plan against God's ways, and he just sits there and laughs. Now, let me go ahead and give this qualifier that should not throw you off. Know that God absolutely has a good plan for your life. Know that no matter what, there's no force that can upset God's plan. Having said all of that, there are some people that God's good and sovereign plan will include pain. There are some people God's good plan is going to include martyrdom, dying because they follow Jesus Christ. We cannot get away from that. As you look at the examples from the scriptures, we see that again and again. And God's sovereign over all things. He is great. And even though we might not be able to understand it, and even though if you were in charge, which, by the way, I'm glad you're not, because you'd mess it up. If you were in charge, you would do it differently. Sometimes it will include pain and sickness, and it's through those times that God grows us, that God prepares us. Anyone who's ever been an athlete knows that you did not step onto the field or onto the court or onto the ice for the first time and be really good. You had to go through things. You had to, if you're really good, you had to have a coach or someone that was mentoring you that was pushing you and pressing you, doing things that you did not like or want. God's process of growing his children oftentimes includes stretching and confusion and pain. And then number three, we know that God's providence is the main method for how he... Oh, let's go back there a little bit. Um, we'll go and move on there. All right. God's providence, number three for taking notes, God's providence is the main method for how he carries out his sovereign plan. And I'm going to camp on this one for a little bit. That's why I've got an additional slide God's providence is the main method for how he carries out his plan. Now, and this is worth the price of admission for today, okay, just for you, right there on the screen. There are two ways primarily that God works in this world, how he accomplishes things. The first way is listed there, number one, miracles. A miracle is defined as when God breaks the natural process to invade it in a supernatural way. That's God doing a miracle, Maybe you have a friend that's always talking about wanting a miracle, or he saw a miracle. When we look in God's Word, we see, uh, we see several miracles recorded. But as we look at our day today, we know that mostly how God works in this world is by number two, and that is in God's providence. God does work in this world through miracles, and we don't have any control of when that comes or when it does not. But how God mostly works in this world is through His providence, and that's our main application for today. Providence is defined as when God accomplishes his will, not by breaking the natural way, but by using the natural way to accomplish what he wants. As we look at these, and if you've come across somebody, some people like I have that are always work, worked up wanting a miracle. We want a miracle. I'm going to give you a line right now that's a tough sell for me as a teacher, okay? So you take this, See if you're, see if you will believe it or not. All right, this is a difficult one because what I want to encourage us with today is this. I want to suggest to us that we should get, are you ready for it? We should get even more excited about God working through his providence than if he were to work through miracles that we could see today. All right, I can see already the doubt in your eyes. I can see it already. I didn't hear any amens, not one amen when I I said that just now. I want to suggest to us that a better place to be as followers of Jesus Christ is to understand that he is in control of all things. And more than that, instead of just um, us saying, boy, I need a miracle and praying and something happening right then, to understand that there is a loving God that six years ago started to work through somebody's life and directed them here and they influenced this one and directed them there, And then they went through this training and did this. And then they did this and then all the way up through. And you might even count up to 100 steps to where God got to that day and he works providentially in your life. And those of you who have gotten on the bandwagon around here and started looking for God working, looking for those God stories, and I'm so thankful sharing those God stories It's often that I'm busy and walking around and and trying to get from one place to another, but something that catches my ear, and this is an encouragement for you to do it, something that I always want to stop and wait and listen to is when someone says, I've got a God story to share with you. This might be a divine appointment in their life where they came across someone. It might mean, I was just with a family just last week and they were talking about all these different things that took place to bring something that was a blessing to them. They saw it. They saw the providence of God. And we do not say, it's my lucky day. We do not say, I'm glad I had my lucky dice with me. We do not say, I'm glad glad I had my horseshoe hung the right way in my house. That's not what we say. We say, as followers of Jesus Christ, that he is good, and he has a beautiful and perfect plan for our lives. And even if we can't see it clearly, our God has something wonderful and beautiful. And so we do not have to be discouraged If we're not seeing a miracle. Because God is going, listen, nothing can thwart God's plan. He is going to accomplish his wonderful plan in this world through his providence. Philippians 4, the end of verse 5, beginning of verse 6 says this, The Lord is at at hand, do not be anxious about anything. And so again and again, God weaves the circumstances of our life together. And you'll have no idea that he's doing it. This flies in the face of one teaching about God, the teaching of deism. Some of you are familiar with deism. That's the idea that God made the world, but he does not interfere in the world in any way. That's how they can answer the critics that would talk about evil in this world, and since God uh, allowed evil, he is evil. Some would say that. Deism would teach that God does not interfere in the world, and that's not what the Bible teaches And by the way, you're going to be in a hopeless place if that's what you believe. It gives the picture of a clock, like God just made the world, he wound it up, and then he leaves, and he's not paying attention. And I can't give you good answers for why some things take place. We go back to 9-11 and the two towers falling. I go to the scriptures, and I say, he says, that his plan is good and I will trust in him and I will follow him. And then the pain comes into your life and most likely most everybody here could fill in that blank, this was the most painful season for me. This was the hardest thing for me. Maybe some of you shook your fist at God. We come back to this word that does not change. We come back to a God that does not change And we understand that even the difficult things that come into our life, God uses them for good. Let me just give us one example. Even the evil, which I don't know if there was a greater demonstration of evil in this world than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The evil of the cross was, and all of you know this, it was something that God used to accomplish his plan. And we sit here in his church today because of that work. God used it. And then let's go ahead and give you one more before we jump and uh, pick up where our story left off. As we think about God's providence, I don't want to let you off the hook because many people, when they think of God's providence and when they think of um, God's in control of everything, they think, well, what does it matter? What does it matter? If God's in control of everything, what does it matter at all? So number four there, I'm sorry, I skipped past it. Number four there is God's providence over all things does not give us permission to be passive. God's providence over all things does not give us permission to be passive. And so when we think of this, you need to understand this. Let me say it quickly, then we'll get to our text. God not only ordains the ends, so he's in control, good plan. He not only ordains the ends, but he ordains the means. And so God works in his providence without robbing you of the responsibility of making a good choice. I wonder if you've ever heard anybody talk like that. Well, God's in control, so I can do whatever I want, and he'll fix it. Someone's going to sin, and they'll say, well, God's sovereign. God's in control. Be very, very careful that you do not allow yourself off the hook from making good and right choices. All right, all that to bring us to our text, and I hope that God's providence in hand is going to jump off the pages. If you're not already there, turn to Acts 23. Acts chapter 23 and it's exciting to see how God uses the various circumstances to stop the multiple plots to kill Paul. If you've not been part of this study recently with us, let me just back up just maybe one verse and give you, give you a little bit of background so you'll understand where we're coming from. Paul was meeting in front of the Sanhedrin, and he said the word resurrection, which automatically divided this group. So Paul's under arrest He is giving a defense in front of a group of people, half Sadducees, half Pharisees, pretty much. And when he says the word resurrection, that divides the group right down the middle because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And they basically are going to tear him apart. The soldier has to come and save him for a second time because they were going to kill him because he mentions the resurrection and so now this guy's wondering what he, what he can do. The tribune, who's over 10 centurions, over 1,000 soldiers, he's wondering what now he should do. He has to pull Paul out of this group. He saves his life. And let me back up to verse number 11 of Acts 23. That's the verse we closed with last week. Is, we could spend two sermons on this one verse. Verse. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Let's continue on. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves in an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Let's stop right there. So in this story of Paul under arrest, he's gone through um, quite a bit of drama already. His life is in danger, but he's been saved Now they know he's a Roman, and so um, they know that um, he is uh, someone who they cannot arrest, they cannot even uh, bind without a charge. But while he's under arrest, 40 guys get this idea. We're going to kill Paul. We're going to wipe him out. And they take an oath. Now an oath in that day was very, very different. They took it very seriously. Not to eat or drink anything until Paul was dead. More than 40 men. So we don't know for sure how many it was but they wanted the help of the chief priests. Let me say this. It was not uncommon for the Sanhedrin to want to inquire more about someone. This wasn't an unusual thing, saying bring him to us so we can question him some more. In fact, the first time, it was kind of a a thrown-together gathering, right? Maybe in the basement of the fortress, and they were there, and so these guys had this plot And in Jerusalem, very much so, they could have been going through an area where there were a lot of people, it was festival time still, and very much so, people could have, these 40 men could have infiltrated and jumped up and killed Paul. You need to understand that this is a suicide mission for some of these guys. They're very serious about this. They're going to take on Roman soldiers, so some of them know that they likely will be killed, so they took it very seriously. But they were committed to their cause. Let's go ahead and see how the story unfolds. Look in verse number uh, 16. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. And so he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. As he has something to say to you, the tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now... They are ready, waiting for your consent. And so the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. The next thing that we see here is an amazing intervention. So when we think of God's plan, look at everything that God is working out. And there's so many things that we don't have the answer to. So many line or dots that are being connected and we're not exactly sure how God connected them. But we see God's providence places this boy in a place where he hears the plot. They weren't broadcasting this to everybody. This was something they were keeping a secret. And yet this boy, this young boy, hears what's going on. How did that happen? I don't know. What would be his motive? Maybe, um, and this is, by the way, this is the only thing we're told about Paul's family. He had a sister, apparently. Sister had a son. We don't see anything else about Paul's family but maybe he had some brothers that were in on this plot. They always hated that Paul. Or else maybe they were very much um, staunch, wanting to keep the Jewish religion like it was, and Paul was of the enemy. So maybe it was someone in the family that he over, overheard it from. Maybe he had a motive of gaining some status. You can see a young boy or a young man wanting to maybe have something that he could brag about. And so he has this. Or maybe he thought he could gain financially from it. Maybe he was just a, nois- a nosy kid. Anybody here have a nosy kid? I mean, they're in every drawer of your house and they know what's going on. And like two months later, you're talking about something and they repeat back to you what you said because they're paying attention. Maybe he was that little one that was into everything. I can't know for sure, but what I do know for sure is that God is in control. Let me just stop and say this. God works in two ways in this world, through his providence and through miracles. We have already seen with the Apostle Paul that God brought an earthquake to release, him, to release him from his chains. God doesn't work that way here. God works in a way that we can see, that we can put our hands on, that we could very possibly see in our own lives. What was his motive? We can't know for sure. And then finally, we're going to see what happens because now we find that God activates the cavalry. God activates the cavalry. Look in verse number 23 with me. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Add that up. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote in a letter to this effect, Claudius Lysias To his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. A little bit of um, fudging on the truth there, a little bit. He paints himself in a pretty good light. Verse 28, and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. And I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. When he disclosed to me that there was, a, when it was disclosed to me that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering that his accusers also state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And so we find here that he is rescued. God activates these soldiers. Did you add it up? 200 regular soldiers with uh, shields and swords, 200 spearmen, and 70 of the cavalry are here. And so there are some incredible, incredible uh, measures that God is going to to protect Paul. Back in chapter 21, we find that he goes from Caesarea to Jerusalem in a much smaller and um, really low-key way. Now he leaves by night. Nine o'clock at night is when they take off. And the commander sends this letter with a summary of the situation. He he paints himself in a pretty good light. And that should not surprise us. I mean, the Romans knew all about politics. They knew how to advance. They did things um, in 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 a smart way, oftentimes. He paints himself in a good light, leaves out the fact that he was almost flogged. And that's how they found out that Paul was a Roman citizen and the commander's in this tough spot where people want to kill him he's got him and so he sends him off and the um, the cavalry goes for the second part of the trip and i think the soldiers all return home so at this midnight ride we find 470 soldiers going past can you imagine being on the road there maybe 11 o'clock at night and here's these 70 horses and these 400 soldiers march by What was that? What's going on? Is is there some royalty coming through? God is in control of all of these things. And God has control of every horse and every soldier and every Christian and every unchristian. He has control of everything to accomplish what he wants to do. And so the application for the providence of God are overwhelming here. Now, let me give you one side application that some of you will like and some of you will not like. All right, God is in control of the institutions that he has put in this world. God has given us the institution of the church. God has given us instruction as to how we're to be involved in the church, as to how we are to submit to one another, as well as submit to authority. The church, I have found, is filled with, don't miss this, sinners, present company included. This is why it's difficult. There's not a month that goes by, that I don't talk with someone who has been so hurt by a church or an individual in a church or a leader in a church. And sometimes it has upset their entire world. They don't know what to do. It's times like that you need to repeat back to yourself God's plan and God's promise. And even though you can't understand it, don't withdraw yourself. All right? So what else did God establish that we like sometimes and sometimes we dislike? Government. Oh, man, some of you are ahead of me, aren't you? God established government. God establishes the kings and the rulers. God can do with them what he wants. And it's difficult for us to understand that God is in control. It's also difficult for us to understand what our part is to be. Alistair Begg gave a great line regarding the Christian's involvement with uh, leadership where he said this, Unless as Christians we learn to be engaged in the events of history and at the same time distant from them so as to understand where a piece may fit, we fail to live and act Christianly. We need to be engaged. We need to also be able to step back and see what God is doing. Let's go ahead and finish here. Pick it up at verse 32. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. And when they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. And so, when we look at all of the things that are going on here, We find this plot to kill Paul. We find an amazing intervention. And then we find the rescue that takes place. Randy, go ahead and advance these slides. I'm having a hard time with this clicker up here. So finally, we have that last one, an activation. And then let's go ahead and see what is going on here. So when you think of the providence of God in your life, look at the example of Paul. His nephew had to discover there was a plot to kill him some way. You might call it a miracle. I suggest you call it God's providence no matter where he was, how it was working out. This boy, I'm not sure how old he was, maybe 8, maybe 12, I don't know. He had to gain entrance into the heavily guarded barracks. God worked that out. He had to find a centurion, an important soldier, who was willing to take him to the commander. And the busy commander, the tribune, over a 1,000 soldiers, listened to the young boy, and he believed him. And then the commander ordered for a small army to escort Paul out of town under the cover of darkness. Look at God's beautiful control. And then can I ask you to get a mirror out and look at your life and whether you understand it or not, claim God's word that he's in control. Claim God's word that he is good claims god's word that he that he loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life what can you do well in one sentence very simply in every situation of life i want you to preach to yourself that god is in control that he is wise and that he is good and he's going to accomplish his purpose and you can be confused by it and fold your arms or else you can say i cannot wait to see what he's going to do next We walk by faith and not by sight. And I hope I've gotten through to you that this idea of God's providence is so much sweeter, I think, than his miracles. Yeah, I'd like to see a miracle too, yeah, okay. But to see his providence, to see what he's done, to see the, can I say this, the hundreds of things that are going on all around that you have no idea are going on, to enable God to work out what he is doing. If you follow Jesus Christ today, you are not alone. You have a church family, I hope. You need to be in a church, a church family to support you. Get plugged in, practice the one another's that the Bible teaches. You have the Holy Spirit, but you also have a God who's in control, who knows all things and loves you and has a plan for you. We're going to listen to a song in just a moment it's a song this title we are not alone and I want for you to enjoy that but before, I pre- before we play that let me just remind us of Jeremiah 29 11 where the Bible says for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope this is a friend of mine that arranged this song and sings it in a quartet hopefully it will be an encouragement to you
1: Not alone, God is with us, we are not alone, we are not alone, we are not alone, God is with us, we are not alone, we are never alone, the Lord God is with us, we are not alone, we are never alone, not alone God is with us, we are not alone, we are never alone. Alone. We are not alone. We are not alone. we are not alone. We are not alone. God is with us. We are not alone. We are not alone. We are not alone. God is with us. We are not alone. will make us strong. For God is with us. We are not We will press on. God is with us. We are not alone. We are never alone. We are, alone. we are not alone. We are never alone. God is with us. God is with us ever and ever.
0: Could I ask you to close the service with me by saying a Bible verse? I'll say it once and then you say it with me. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Say it with me. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let's pray. Our Father who is good, who is in control and loving, our eyes are dim sometimes, it's cloudy. We have no answer for why, what happens in our world, and sometimes we think that you have turned your back, messed up. Hold us, or Let us hold to your word and to your promises that what you do is good and that you are faithful, and we thank you, God, that we can trust in your providence. We thank you that you are one that looked down upon us and loved us We thank you for your son who is interceding on our behalf even at this moment when I call out to you, Father. We thank you for the work on the cross, what Jesus Christ did, and that's why Paul went through all these things to tell people that they could have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the wonderful story of the cross. We thank you for how you worked in ways that no one could have imagined. Jesus Christ very much so felt alone and yet you are working that out for our good. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Maybe you're here today, and you're not used to church world. You're not used to um, this Bible story. Maybe you're here today, and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. It could be that he is knocking on the door of your heart today. I would encourage you. There is no greater decision you can make than to follow him, to give him everything. Does not mean that you will avoid persecution and pain. Paul did not, but Paul was always, always content because he knew what he had. I would encourage you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, to make the day of your salvation. Ask him to forgive you and to become your heavenly father and follow him today. And then I don't know how many applications we had beyond that. Maybe you have felt very alone in this world. Maybe there have been things that there's no way you could, you could put into an explanation of how it makes sense. But you need to depend on God and lean on Him. Understand that He gives us every day and we trust Him. I'm going to ask Anna to play through just a stanza on the piano. If you need to talk to God about anything, do it during this time.